This is Think Smart with TMFG, your weekly podcast of what's newsworthy and relevant to everyday Canadians. With your host, Senior Financial Advisor Rob McClelland and Mike Conan of Asante Capital Management. Today on Think Smart with TMFG, Mike and I are going to be discussing all of the mistakes that we have made over the years. Mike, I thought it was time for some truth with our audience. These are just financial mistakes, right, Rob? They are just (laughs) financial mistakes. Um, I thought it might be interesting to do a podcast just talking about some of the, the personal and professional mistakes that we have made over the years. Um, related to investing and business. And mine actually go back a number of years and and even one is a a lot more current. If I look up my worst investing mistakes, probably my first one happened in 1987. And I decided to purchase a rental property that I was going to live in and have roommates. And it was in Thornhill and it was a, a little condo development and I was going to uh, buy this property that was right beside the train tracks. It was at a great price of $107,000. Now I'd grown up in the city, so moving to Thornhill was a big step for me, um, but that's all I could afford at the time. And I had saved up through a stock purchase plan. I was working with Hudson's Bay Company. I'd stayed up, saved up over $40,000 in Hudson's Bay stock. So I had enough. And so come September, I had put an order in to sell all the stock to put it in as part of the down payment. And, you know, it's a substantial down payment, almost 40% down payment on my first place. Unfortunately, at the time, the technology wasn't as advanced as it is today. And so when I reached the person who's in charge of the stock purchase plan, well, she was on holidays, not just for a week. She was on holidays for a month. So I couldn't do anything for a month, but I was told she'd be be back at the beginning of October. And if you recognize the date of 1987, you'll remember that the stock market had a major crash, a very short-term crash, but a major crash in 1987. Black Monday. Black Monday. And the stock market had risen up dramatically throughout the summer. And then in the fall, it all crashed. And I think Black Monday was 20% in one day. Did your advisor not explain uh, a concentration of one security to you at that time? Well, I had no advisor. <laughs> I was my advisor and I wasn't even a financial advisor at the time. Needless to say, my down payment ended up only being $20,000 because the stock lost 50% of its value in that short period of time from when I put the order in to get out and actually receive the proceeds. So that was a fatal error. Needless to say, it all worked out in the end. Uh, I borrowed the money from my parents. So I got lucky. Mistake number two, 2008 comes along. You and I had uh, taken over a book of business from a a retiring financial advisor. We had also made a major decision to move to what was called being a fee-based advisor. What that meant was that my cash flow, rather than getting paid in advance, I would get paid in arrears. So all of my cash flow was pushed out three months. At the same time, the stock market was in a free fall. Stock market was down at the time about 40%. I couldn't meet payroll for our staff. And we had a pretty small staff, but I couldn't meet payroll. 
and I couldn't meet all of our rent expenses and everything else. And I had to sell $250,000 worth of investments, even though they were down 40%. And um, if I'd just held on to that 250,000 today, by my calculations, it'd be worth over a million dollars. So that was a pretty fatal mistake. Yeah. So more recently, you'd think I'd learn about these things, but you know, Ingrid and I had decided we were going to rebuild our main cottage. We'd done, first of all, an estimate on what it would cost. I, it was a relatively small place, 2,400 square feet. And I had estimated it might cost us, you know, $700 a square foot to do it. Well, I was way off on the price, first off. And I decided to finance it using a variable rate mortgage. Rates were pretty low back then. Let, rates, it was at 1.3%. Rule of thumb is variable is cheaper than fixed, right? Right. So we learn. <laughs> so I thought, you know, put a little money down and I can pay this thing off probably in five years out of cash flow. And then slowly we all know what happened. What happened to interest rates? Yeah, skyrocketed. Record since, uh, since back in the 1980s. <laughs> so very quickly I was paying not 1.3%, but I was paying 6.3% on it. So I had to make a hard decision because now my cash flow, I was set up to pay this off in five years. I couldn't handle the cash flow anymore. My, my payments had almost doubled as to what I was having to pay. So I had to take a million dollars out of a retirement plan to pay it off. Now, at the end of the day, you're shifting one asset to another. So you're, you know, you're really just paying off the cottage faster. I guess the key is really money is no longer free. And, uh, we forgot that idea of free money, but we had 10 years of free money. You could you just borrow money and just pay it back whatever you wanted. They weren't charging anything. It was, you know, 1% or something ridiculously low. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I probably would have done some planning on this. And I went back and I had actually developed a whole spreadsheet on what it would cost if interest rates went up. And I had projected that interest rates could possibly triple. So they could go up to almost, you know, 4% from 1.3% to, to 3.9. It shows you the danger of making a forecast. See, my mistakes are a bit opposite to yours. If you know us both, I'm more conservative. <laughs> and most of my mistakes are going in the opposite way. Uh, I had a similar situation in 2008 where we were going through the situation where you bought uh, office. The housing market was still down. And I remember there is a beautiful road in Aurora called Kennedy Road. And I went to go look at a place on there. I think it was four or $500,000 at that time. And I was so stressed over the new cash flow and everything that was going on. I was not willing to take on $200,000 more of debt. And that place is probably a five to $7 million place right now. But it, uh, it, it was the fear of debt that uh, got me pushed away from it. A few other times I've had is back in uh, when I first started in 1994, uh, I remember doing my first stock purchase and at that time I was a rookie at doing stock purchase, didn't know much about them. And I went down and talked to her stock desk and I was going to buy Bank of Nova Scotia because I want to own a bank. And I had $6,000 saved up and I was already to do my first $6,000 investment. And I said, I want 6,000 of Bank of Nova Scotia. And they bought me 6,000 shares. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I got a bill and I think it was for about ninety or $100,000 at that time. And I went into an absolute panic because I didn't have that money. 
Uh, I could have borrowed it. I realized I could have went to someone and borrowed it and tried to make things work. But instead, I took a big loss on selling them just to get rid of them that day because I was so afraid of what could happen owning this. And when I look at how much 6,000 shares of Bank of Nova Scotia would be worth right now after splits and everything, it would have made me a very rich man if I would have held on to them. So It would have been a great purchase. Yeah. So again, it was just the fear that got me. So those are some you know personal mistakes we've made. Business mistakes, you know, you and I have been business partners now for, you know, probably 25 years. And we've made some, not nearly as many. And I think that's the advantage of being able to work together and having someone to bounce things off of. And so we can double check and triple check before we do anything. I guess the one that stands out to me was always King City. And we had taken over this group of clients from a, a retiring financial advisor whose main branch was in the town of King City, which was about 15 to 20 minutes from our office. And we decided that the best thing we could do was to keep that operation going. And so we had a small team. We had, there were six of us at the time. And before we know it, knew it, we had three people working in one office and three people in the other office we would never see each other. We were passing back and forth between the two offices. There was no Zoom at that time. <laughs> there was no Zoom. No. We were losing money every month. And it was also 2007 to 2009 when the stock market was in freefall. And so we luckily got out of that lease. And There's a value to having everyone in the same room. It's funny. People ask why we returned to the office so quickly after this whole uh, last uh, pandemic we went through over the last few years. We know there's an importance of having people sit in the same room because we experienced it 15 years ago and uh, we're not as effective. We're not working as uh, one group. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's so true. We started to even notice, you know, last year that our business was becoming a little disjointed. We weren't connecting. We were making more mistakes. We didn't know what people were doing anymore. And now we're back in the office and things have dramatically improved. Another one, another business mistake, and this was something that happened over a number of years, and we were looking to bring in and, and boost up the insurance side of our business. And we thought the easiest way to do it would be to hire an internal insurance advisor, someone that had lots of experience in the insurance industry and could come inside and really be helpful because it's very difficult to be a really good financial advisor, an investment advisor, and a really good insurance advisor all at the same time. And so what was that mistake, Meg? Well, the problem, Why didn't it work out? The, the problem is you need someone holistic to look at someone's financial situation. And when someone's looking from an insurance side and they just sell insurance, their solution to every issue is insurance. And, and insurance does definitely have a purpose in someone's financial life. Very important when you're young, you have families. It can be a great estate planning tool for people who want to pass some money to the next generation, but it doesn't work for every situation. It's not a great investment alternative. And with the insurance people that we found, a lot of times they were always trying to find a way to squeeze insurance products into areas where they're not that suitable. Another business mistake, and this was one that happened fairly early on in my career. Uh, it was in the late 90s. And I had been working with a husband and wife and the husband had decided to switch jobs and in the process said he needed money from his portfolio to live off of. And I guess I would call it that I took a shortcut. 
And the shortcut was that I let the husband sign the documents for the wife's account. And what I didn't know is that he was planning on leaving her. In fact, he was planning on leaving the country. And he ended up liquidating his wife's entire RSP account worth over $100,000. And I, and the, the wife came to me one day and her sister and they said, what happened to the money? And I realized what had happened is that I had been, uh, I had been taken. And uh, I had to come settle up with, uh, with her at the time and make, make her whole. And uh, that was a costly business mistake. So when you call us from us on our redemption, there's reasons why we do it. We know now we have to talk to the individual personally on a redemption, and, uh, or at least a team member who knows exactly who they're talking to. We had some, the, the one mistake sometimes I find that we, we fix now, but uh, again, going back, we learned a lot of lessons back in, uh, in 2000 and 2008. Uh, one was our ESPs, the Educational Savings Plans. And we used to go, uh, the rule of thumb when we started in this business is whenever someone had money they were putting away for kids, whether it be in trust accounts before there were RESPs or RESPs, it's just shoved in the Templeton Growth Fund. It was the biggest fund, which was a, a global equity fund, and it had pretty good performance at, at that time. And uh, we used to do that with the in trust accounts. And... What happened in 2008, as the markets corrected, those in-trust accounts and those uh, RESPs fell quite significantly in a very quick time. The problem is with someone's portfolio is, uh, again, when a, a market fall happens, they have a lot of time to recover. Some of the kids were 18 needing the money for university. And all of a sudden, the funds for university had dropped by all of a sudden 30% or 40% within a year. And it's not like you can delay going to school. So we put some systems into our practice now. When people come in, it's called an uh, education mix calculator. We go and make sure as kids are getting older, uh, we get more conservative with their portfolio to protect ourselves against that. And then we get a year like last year and the conservative strategy, the bonds had a horrible year. And so, you, you know, once again, you learn a lesson where just being in bonds might not be enough. You need some of it in cash. Yeah, there's no guarantees. Client mistakes. Um, all of these are typically around trading and, and typically they happen when the market is extremely volatile. Um, and it could be as simple as a client sends in an email that they want to liquidate their portfolio. That email doesn't get picked up that day. The client expects that they've got out of the, the market that day. This doesn't happen very often, but in 30 years, it has certainly happened. Luckily, whenever these mistakes happen, we have insurance that we pay for that have covered the mistakes. Unfortunately, the insurance doesn't cover the stress that the advisor and the client go through in the process. What about portfolio mistakes, Mike? What do you remember as the biggest portfolio mistakes that you and I have made with clients over the years? I mean, it's, we're, we're talking honesty now. What are they? This is one was pushed by the government. Uh, back in the uh, 90s, the government came up with an idea called labor-sponsored mutual funds. And the idea was it to promote small businesses. And instead of the government giving money uh, to grants, they figured they would give money, uh, a grant of 30%, I think it was, yeah. uh, to anyone who invested in these labor-sponsored funds. And a bunch of companies started these labor-sponsored funds, and it was a great investment. felt like a great investment because people would put, uh, I think you could put $5,000 a year in, 
and the government will give you a 30% or $1,500 back on your tax return. Tax credit. So and, you only had 70% invested. And if you did in your RSP, you'd get, and you're in the top tax bracket, you had 50% on top of that, 30%. What could go wrong? You get 80% of your money back, right? And this is what people were doing with these uh, labor-sponsored funds. The reality was they were a terrible idea. The management fees were extraordinary, extraordinarily high on them. They were very non-liquid assets that had tons of administrative issues to get sold. And still in some portfolios, these labor-sponsored funds sit there and they can't be sold. They're just an enigma that uh, messes up a portfolio. It is interesting. you know. And all along, you and I were purchasing them on our behalf for, you know, I was buying them every year for myself and my wife and, yep. and went through the same pain that my clients did. Long story short, it, it didn't cost a lot of money at the end of the day. It maybe cost each client $500, but it, it you know, we, we got away from our claim that we had never lost clients money. In that particular case, we had actually lost clients money. 1999, uh, another big mistake. We've probably talked about this a few times in the podcast, but, um, it was a very difficult period. They, we were in the tech boom. Stocks were going up much like they did in 2021. All the tech stocks were booming. Value companies were not. And clients were leaving in droves. They were not happy with our portfolio returns. And so we decided on a solution where we would take 20% of their uh, stock money and put it into growth companies, all those investments that have been doing so well. And quickly, that 20% turned into 10% after it lost half of its value in a period of two, three months. Yeah. So now the client had not only lost money, but they lost an additional 10% because we put that 20% into growth companies. And on the flip side, the value companies, which have been underperforming, went up 50%. So they missed out on that rebound as well. So all in all, that was a big mistake. It helps people understand why we're so stubborn now when, when growth is taken off and we continue the value strategy. We've seen this before. And, uh, you know, even uh, a year and a half ago, you saw the correction of the growth companies again. They do correct. And uh, people get very excited about growth companies. But when things go wrong, they go wrong. The final mistake was actually more recently um, in, in 2020 uh, when COVID first hit. And if everyone remembers at the time, the market dropped very quickly in a short period of time, it was down 30%. So I took advantage of it. Most of my Canadian companies, um, a number of clients' portfolios were down. And I knew I could trigger a capital loss by moving that money into an exchange traded fund. And it looked like a great strategy and I would do it again. The only problem is the stock market rebounded so quickly I did trigger the capital loss, but now I had triggered a big capital gain in these ETFs, yep. so I couldn't get out of them. And many of those ETFs I still hold today. They're still good investments, but I would prefer not to have them in our beautifully designed portfolios. Yep. That brings us to the end of another week. This is Rob and Mike with Think Smart from the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management reminding you to live the life that makes you happy. You've been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. 
Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.